is A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U-S-A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show. Weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. Dave. Well, on this Passover and Easter 2019 holiday weekend, we hope wherever you are celebrating... You are with friends, you are with family, you are getting ready to enjoy a wonderful weekend. And what makes it even more wonderful is when as Alphas we can congregate and we can share in life's great pleasures, including, but not limited to of course, cigars, spirits, diversions, dice, dames, travel, little golf, little hockey, Playoffs, not so much for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Talk about an epic collapse. Get ready for the NFL draft. And just enjoy the fruits of your hard labor on this holiday weekend. And we shall do so appropriately on this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Long ash greetings and salutations. A long ash snappy salute. Semper. Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the socialist. Your five-star global general and commanding Alpha male-in-chief from Command Center Alpha in the Cigar City of Tampa. I've also got by me my two canines. I've got Pendragon's Royal Sultan and Pendragon's Royal Baron. Baron is chomping on a giant, supposedly... Uh, indestructible nylabone, but so much for that. It's getting destructed. I think it's beef flavored. We only get, no, no vegan flavored for him. And Sultan at 13 and a half is taking a well-deserved snooze uh, just after high noon on this Passover and Easter holiday weekend. As always, be sure to follow me on social media, Twitter, at Cigar Dave Show. But if you go to CigarDave.com, upper right-hand corner, click on all the links to our various social media uh, feeds, and you can follow us along. It is Easter. And when you think of Easter, what do you think of? You think of chocolate Easter bunnies, and apparently in England, Easter ducklings. In fact, in... There you go, as they march into Command Center Alpha, just like being at the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. They come walking right in. In fact, that got the attention of Baron, who's now looking around, tilting his head, saying, where, where, where are the ducks? That could be an appetizer for me. Well, in Buffalo, another tradition is they have butter lambs at the Broadway market. So there's all sorts of different traditions for Easter. And in Britain, the British supermarket chain Waitrose, which I'm sure Mick the Brit, if he would ever get off the... Stop sucking the giant boob, the inflatable boob, that, that uh, feminist group that is promoting uh, women's breastfeeding in public places. If he would get off of that thing, he's been on it for a week and still hasn't released yet. But I'm sure if Mick ever did release, he probably has shopped at Waitrose many times. Well-known supermarket chain in Britain. They came out with three chocolate Easter ducks. 
And I think to yourself, hmm, chocolate, can't go wrong. I don't care if it's a duck, a bunny, whatever the case is. They featured three types of ducks, each with different chocolate. A milk chocolate duck named Crispy, a white chocolate, or yellow really, it looks like yellow chocolate, named Fluffy, and a dark chocolate with these like pink specks all over it named Ugly. Now, Sergeant Steve, let me ask you, would that... Would anything draw your attention? These are chocolate ducks. The milk chocolate is crispy. The white or yellow chocolate is fluffy. The dark chocolate with the little pink specks is ugly. Would you? Would anything raise your your awareness, or would you think that there's any sort of racism going on by looking at those chocolate ducks? No, I've read the story of the ugly duckling. It's a, it's Hans, a well-known story. Correct. The Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. Very well known, and it's based off of that, that basically had those duck names. I mean, it was, there was crispy, fluffy, and ugly. Well, my oh my, a Twitter user shared her concern after seeing the ducks for sale and overhearing other customers complaining. Because immediately, you have to be drawn to some sort of racism, racist parallel. There must be a deep, connoted meaning by having the dark chocolate named ugly. Now, actually, when I first saw this, the picture of these, the reason I thought it was ugly wasn't because of dark chocolate, was the fact that it had all these pink specks all over it. And it was kind of, kind of an ugly-looking duckling, an ugly duckling. And again, the first thing I thought about is when I saw the names, I remember the story from Hans Christian Andersen, the children's story, the ugly duckling, way, way back. Apparently, kids today don't know anything about literature, and that's a pretty well-known work by Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. So this woman tweets out and says, Crispy, fluffy, and ugly. Trio of Easter ducklings at Waitrose. Ugly is the dark one on the right. Overheard women saying, this is not right. I agree. Doesn't look good at all. Thousands of other options. Why ugly? Insinuating that there must be some sort of racist component. And many people said, how could Waitrose, this supermarket shit, how could they allow this to happen? Here are other Twitter users saying, I must say I'm pretty disgusted. It's 2019, Waitrose. 2019! Doing this to ducks, ugly or not, is not okay on any level. What message is it sending? Honestly, I'll tell you, the message it's sending is, there are three chocolate freaking ducklings. That's it. And I assure you, if they named the milk chocolate cre- uh, crisp, the one that's named Crispy Ugly, somebody would have had a problem with that. And if they named the yellow one instead of Fluffy Ugly, somebody would have had a problem with that. We've gone off the deep end. Everybody thinks everything is racist. It's ridiculous. Are we going to get to the point where we say no more monkeys in zoos because we don't want anybody to even think and remotely draw parallel that when we are, we are featuring monkeys, then, oh, It must have some sort of racist parallel. Please, give me a break. This has gone on, and it's now excessive. Waitrose apparently rolled right over. Instead of saying, look, there's no racist intent, comes from this particular story, that's it. It's got these ugly pink specks on it. So if anything racist, it's that we're against pink people. I don't know, are there pink people? I guess not. But in any event... They came out and said, we're very sorry for any upset caused by the name of this product. It was absolutely not our intention to cause any offense. We removed the product from sale several weeks ago while we changed the labeling, and our ducklings are now back on sale. Meanwhile, the woman, Livia Alberti, who first called out the supermarket chain, faced a flurry of backlash, has come out with this tweet. 
I understand what you are trying to do, but by making such a big deal from a chocolate duck that is based on a story, you make racism for me and other uh, pox a lot worse. I don't know what a pox is, but anyway, a pox a lot worse. If you want to fight real racism, please start with people, not innocent chocolate ducks. Well, honey, sweetheart, sugar, why did you even bring up this tweet that in 2019 that there's a problem with having the dark chocolate duck named Ugly? You're the one that called this out. You're the one that made a big deal. Now all of a sudden, you're ticked off at the supermarket chain for pulling them? Police. And here's a, a, a person in their Twitter feed, and I know they're black because they've got a picture of themselves. And here's exactly what he said. I promise you on my life, black people don't give a shiatsu about Waitrose or chocolate ducks. He's probably right. He is right. Everything has got to have some sort of BS hidden meaning now. You can't just say, hey, they're three chocolate ducks. This is what we named them. There was no racist intent. I mean, I guarantee you if they would have named them something else, they would have had a problem with that or somebody would have had a problem no matter what. Everybody is too damn uh, soft today. Everybody now is just too darn sensitive. You say something wrong, hey, good morning. No, it's not a good morning. It's a terrible morning for me. You've offended somebody. Enough with the offense. Grow a set, please. Unbelievable. I want to talk about the Boeing 737. Talked about it a number of weeks ago. Couldn't get to it last week, but I want to give you some updates. Very, very interesting. Now, I received a Facebook post from a very irate listener. Here's what he said. You abused your audience's trust by attacking Boeing with no knowledge of the facts of the B-737 MAX crashes. Suggest you watch three videos by a professional airline pilot who describes the situation with facts instead of uninformed rhetoric. This person's YouTube channel has three videos by a current professional airline pilot that will correct your mistaken belief that the crew did exactly what Boeing prescribed. Actually, in Ethiopia, they did. The problem is... And Boeing has acknowledged this, that according to their procedure, when you turn off the trim, the electric trim, you have to use a manual trim lever, or trim, uh, what do you call it, just like a trim handle, where basically it's a circular handle and you've got to rotate. It's a trim wheel. The problem is it's almost impossible without two people, two hands to turn it. Boeing knew about that issue. And pilots have said, well, what you have to do is you have to raise the nose, then release it, then you crank it once. Then you raise it again. I mean, please. Again, no simulator trading on this. Of course you're going to have an issue. So very interesting, some updates. From the Wall Street Journal, Boeing did not get any commercial 737 orders in March. They didn't book one commercial order for the 737. That is the first month in seven years that they did not receive an order for their best-selling 737. And you can better be sure, you, are, you can believe that airlines now are rethinking their orders. This is a tarnished airplane. There is no doubt about it. Now, Boeing is still building the 737 MAX. They've cut down on the production schedule. They previously forecast to sell more than 550 MAX planes. That's going to be out. $27 billion in market capitalization has been wiped from Boeing's market value. Earnings are coming out, I think, next week. You can be sure they're going to take a hit. 
And here's another story I saw in the New York Times. They did a very in-depth story by Jack Nikas and Julie Cresswell. Headline, Boeing 737 MAX, 1960s design, 1990s computer power, and paper manuals. Here's how they start the article. And this just shows you the engineering flaw, that Boeing wanted to minimize the training costs, so instead of creating a clean sheet design, they basically overstretched, dumbed down a 737 that should have 21st century technology. They dumbed it down to 1980s and 90s technology. Even the engineers were not happy about it, as was addressed in this article. The engineers rolled their eyes when they were told, nope, can't do any new technology, don't want to do it, can't do it, because if airlines have to retrain pilots, we promise them there'll be no additional training, it'll cost us a million dollars per plane for any additional training. And there's a little caveat to that story, which I'll tell you in a minute. But it starts out by saying pilots start some new Boeing planes by turning a knob and flipping two switches. That is correct. On the Airbus, same way. The Boeing 737 MAX, however, works differently. Pilots follow roughly the same seven steps used on the very first 737 that flew nearly 52 years ago. Shut off the cabin's air conditioning, redirect the airflow, switch on the engine, start the fuel flow, revert the airflow, turn back on the AC, turn on a generator, and then the engines spool up. The 737 MAX is a legacy of its past, built on decades-old system, many that date back to the original version. And the strategy Boeing wanted to employ to keep updating the plane rather than starting from scratch. But now, that flawed strategy with the engines that are too big that the, for the existing 737 fuselage, they had to raise and, and uh, move forward the engines. They had to elevate the nose gear. All these, situ all these changes changed the rough, uh, just the, the flight handling characteristics, the center of gravity. Essentially what you're doing is you stretch and you twist and you're just, sooner or later, you say, hey, you, you can't do this anymore. It's 21st century. We need to build a new airplane. The foundation of the 737 MAX is not from the 21st century. It's from the 1960s. General aviation aircraft today, private jets, private piston airplanes, private uh, turboprops, have better technology than the 737 MAX and is now a reputational hazard. Here's what Rick Ludke, the former, a former Boeing engineer who helped design the MAX's cockpit, he said, and I quote, it was state-of-the-art at the time, but that was 50 years ago. It's not a good airplane for the current environment. And the reason is, here's a perfect, perfect example. If there is a problem that occurs on any of the newer technology airplanes, the Airbus A320, the A330, the A350, the A380, the Boeing 787, there is an issue on your MFD, the multifunction display that is in what's called a glass cockpit. They're TV screens, essentially, or LCD panels. A master caution or a master warning light will pop up, and it will give you a diagnosis of what the problem is. You know, engine uh, overheat, engine fire, uh, hydraulic issue, air conditioning pack, and then it tells you exactly what to do. It displays a checklist, not on the 737 MAX. You get a warning uh, label or a warning indicator. You then have to go through a manual, uh, have to go through an old physical flight manual and a checklist to determine what the problem is. When you've got major issues going on in the cockpit, you don't have time to be looking at a manual. 
as I learned to, uh, there are three very important elements when you are learning to fly and an emergency situation comes up. ANC, aviate, navigate, communicate. Very first thing, fly the airplane. Fly the airplane. Yeah, there may be checklists that come up on the multifunction display. You still have to fly that airplane. But to start flipping through pages of a manual, uh, flight manual, forget it. Doesn't work. And remember, Boeing promised the airlines there would be minimal changes, there would be no additional simulator training, and put in a $1 million per plane provision that if at any time it was found that the airlines had to put their pilots through uh, simulator training on the 737 MAX, Boeing would refund a million dollars per plane. And I want you to remember that because it comes into play with what an FAA panel, the Flight Standardization Board, which is made up of some pilots and FAA insiders, industry experts, they decided this week, they reviewed the MAX 737 MAX stabilization system. They found the system to be operationally suitable, and they gave the approval for, the, uh, for Boeing to begin training pilots on how the system works, but training them in a ground school using basically an iPad or a flight manual and saying that no additional flight, uh, flight simulator training is required. Now, why do you think the FAA is jeopardizing the safety and well-being of passengers and flight crews alike with the 737 MAX by their asinine ruling saying, you don't need to go into a simulator, practice anything. Nope, just, just additional training on, uh, on an iPad or, or a manual, just a, a written flight manual. Why do you think that is? Remember what I said. Boeing must stroke a check for a million dollars for every 737 MAX, which requires pilots to go into the simulator for additional training, even if it's for five minutes. And a pilot cannot ascertain that information. I don't care wh- how much you write, how in-depth it is on an iPad, or in a written flight manual, there is nothing like experiencing it when you are in realistic conditions in a flight simulator. I know, because I train in a flight simulator for what I fly every six months. I've been in the Airbus 330 and A320 and Boeing 757 and 737 simulators. You can read about it in the book. It's different when it's happening in real time. It is outrageous for what the FAA's Flight Standardization Board determined. No additional training. That is in a simulator. That will come back to bite the FAA. Mark my words on that. Now, that doesn't mean that they've approved the changes Boeing made. That's not going to happen. You won't see that happen until August, September. You can be sure every worldwide aviation authority is uh, is going to follow up on that. But the FAA, once again, dereliction of duty, endangering passenger and crew welfare by not insisting that every pilot must undergo training in the flight simulator with the MCAS system once the MCAS is finally approved. To me, this reeks, absolutely reeks, all about the dollars, all about the money. Shame on Boeing, 
Shame on the FAA. Shame on every single person who has or will have blood on their hands if there, God forbid, is another 737 MAX accident. I think Boeing's going to scrub that airplane. Don't forget, if you remember the Cigar Dave Officers Club, the Hoyla Amistad vertical sampler consisting of a Hoyla Amistad gold, a Hoyla Amistad silver, and a Hoyla Amistad black will be coming your way next week. A full-flavored series of cigars from General Cigar, the Hoyla Amistad vertical sampler, Join the Officers Club today, $22.95. You get three great cigars every month. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and they will come to you. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. In the second hour for Cigar Masters Hour, we'll be joined by Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars, Lars Tettens of the eponymously named Lars Tettens Brands. We're going to be talking about the big announcement they had where Alec Bradley acquiring Lars Tetton's brands, the original uh, infused oil and botanical cigars. So I'm going to do an abbreviated litation segment. I've got the Alec Bradley Tempest cigar. Love this cigar. It is an absolute beauty. In fact, uh, I remember when Alan Rubin first gave me one about 12 years ago to sample. Beautiful Habano seed wrapper. Beautiful Honduran uh, and Nicaraguan tobaccos. I'm going to cut the end of this cigar, and I'm going to use the old-fashioned cigar match. So I like the match here, and I will post the foot of this cigar. Outstanding. Mm. So I puff and rotate. This is very nice. Mm. And as I do that, let me take my libation selection. For Passover, it is a tradition. Got to have the good old, we're not going high not going top shelf today. Well, we are if you're talking about Manischewitz. We've got the Manischewitz Concord Grape Wine, a Passover tradition. It's like drinking candied grape juice. So I will say cheers, a happy Passover, and a happy Easter to all. Very nice. Ah, very sweet. Definitely a taste contrast to this Alec Bradley Tempest, which is a nice medium, medium plus cigar. Take a few more puffs. Nice, rich flavor, mm, almost like a nutty complexion. Fantastic. When we come back, we'll be joined by Colonel Ange Puccio, the Pooch Pit, as we talk summer grilling preparation maneuvers. This month's Cigar Dave Officers Club selection is a Hoya La Amistad sampler, including the Hoya La Amistad Black. This collaboration with A.J. Fernandez features an Ecuadorian Sumatra Oscuro wrapper that's peppered with Nicaraguan Habano filler and a Mexican San Andrean binder. Get cigars like these shipped directly to you every month by joining the Cigar Dave Officers Club today. Get details at CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. 
To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. Cowpokes will come from the near and far when you throw a few ribeyes on the farm. Roberta Duran two before a five. Well, who doesn't love steak year-round? And especially summertime when the weather is warm, the grills are fired up, and there is nobody better to give us pointers on how to get our grills and our smokers ready for grilling season. And that is the great... Colonel in charge of the Western New York Theater of Operations and the proprietor of the classified and highly secure Pooch Pit, Colonel Ange. Greetings, Colonel Ange. I know that spring, it is officially spring on the calendar, but you wouldn't necessarily know that in the Northeast and Midwest right about now, but there is hope around the corner. Well, here we don't call it spring, General. We call it still winter. <laughs> this past week, Chicago had what I think the latest snowfall or the largest record snowfall this late in the season. It is incredible. Although I remember the week before I graduated from Syracuse in 1986, graduation was May 11th. The week before, early May, we had snow flurries in Syracuse. So it can happen. Yep. But the good news is that you are closer to warmer weather than to colder weather. Yep, and we can't wait for that month to come here, General. We're very, very close. Now, Colonel Lange, before we get into some grilling tips, how to get the grills ready and, you know, coming out of hibernation for the winter, a story really caught my attention. A well-known vegan restaurant in Buffalo in the Western New York, New York Theater of Operations called Merge has officially closed as a full-scale restaurant, gone. They opened up, uh, the owners opened up the vegan-friendly restaurant in 2009. So it was open for 10 years, but gone. And really, when you think about Buffalo, Buffalo chicken wings, and you think about Salem's hot dogs and other sorts of great sausage and meat products, Buffalo is not a vegan town. So... On one hand, I say it's sad to see this restaurant go for the proprietors, but Buffalo runs on meat. Well, General, I can tell you personally, I've never been a big fan of beets on Weck. <laughs> yeah, we want the beef, that thinly sliced beef. Yeah, the au jus on, on, on beets on Weck, not so great. Not so great. No, well, Colonel yeah. Ange, I know that you do not, winter does not deter you in any way, shape, or form. But you are one of the few. You're one of the few, the brave. Most everyone else, they hibernate for the winter. They don't do any grilling. They do everything inside. So for those people, summer's soon upon us. Spring has sprung. It hasn't sprung yet, but it will very, very, very soon. 
So most people have a smoker, they have a grill, whether it's gas, charcoal, it's been sitting out there, it's been covered. So we need to know. We've got to get those grills ready for a summer of massive BTU grilling maneuvers. So give us the steps to properly get our grills and our smokers ready. Well, why don't we start with some things to keep in mind in general. Uh, Then we can get into the specifics of cleaning a special grill. But first thing to do uh, is to put your grill in a cleared area. You want to keep it away from buildings, from wooden fences, awnings, trees. If you have a gas grill on a deck, you want to buy a grill mat that covers an area larger than your grill. If you have a charcoal grill on your uh, deck, I'll give you my phone number because it'll only be a matter of time before you call and need the assistance of a local public adjuster. Uh, you you got to keep. And you can arrange. You can you can assist on that, Colonel Lynch. Yes, no yes, we can. Over the years, there's been quite a few bucks made uh, through uh, NFA for people to take the grill, put it close to a house, leave it unattended. Usually the grease trap catches on fire, and soon, lo and behold, your house is on fire. So keep it away. Ask Captain Paul about the melted siding on his garage where he kept his grill. Uh, It can do a lot of damage. So number one, put it someplace safe. Uh, Number two, uh, especially with a charcoal grill, check the wind direction before you start your grilling. Uh, You can uh, move it around. Uh, The embers will blow. Uh, can start dried grass and get into a uh, lightly colored uh, mulch, uh, start a fire. So also not only a safety issue, but the uh, this will make sure you got an even cooking temperature. Wind can make a great big difference. I was going to ask you one thing, uh, Colonel Ange. Yes. Do people, you know, when it's been stored, the best way to clean your grill, the outside, the exterior, from all the cobwebs and anything else that is accrued, uh, just regular soap and water? Yeah, regular soap and water. That's what I recommend. That's in all of my cleaning instructions when people call and ask me. The only difference is uh, if you have a stainless steel grill. Stainless steel, you know, generally from uh, uh, from uh, the Army One uh, jet plane that you use, you've got to use a uh, stainless steel cleaner with a microfiber cloth to keep that in good shape. But other than that, soap and water. All right, fantastic. Remember, never light your gas or propane grill with the cover closed. Uh, Your grilling utensils, you should get these prepared if you stored them underneath your grill. Bring them inside, wash them, and get ready for the season. Get the bugs off of it. Uh, One thing to do uh, as you're cooking through the season is to uh, clean your grates immediately after cooking. Raise the heat up while while the food is still pliable. Uh, Get the heat up, clean them, and then uh, shut the grill down. Uh, Make sure you have long-handled tongs, spatulas, and brushes to avoid burning your hands. Check the drip pan on a regular basis, especially if you're cooking a lot of fatty meats. Uh, Use a spray cleaner, rag and paper towels, wipe down your flat surfaces. Now this is something you should be doing through the year, not just hauling them out. We can give you specifics of hauling them out in a bit. Uh, you want to make sure you clean around the knobs because grease can build up under there as well. Uh, you want to check for uh, leaks at least twice a year. And if you don't have a cover for your grill, get one. Uh, it'll prolong the life. And if you don't use your grill in about a week, you want to take the cover off and wipe it down, uh, wipe the grill down, keep the uh, metal parts from uh, rusting. 
And also what I do too is always check your, uh, your uh, fuel sources, your charcoal, your wood chips, your pellets. They should be in an airtight container like a trash can with a, a lid that snaps closed tight so that you're uh, ready to go and your fuel source is dry. But as far as cleaning the grill, it's pretty specific how you should do it. And if you like general, we could walk you through, uh, through a few steps. Absolutely. Well, let's start with your natural gas or propane grill. This is the most prevalent grill in people's backyards. Here's what you need to set up. Get your tools ready. You need a stainless steel grill brush, a paint scraper, small wire brush. You need a bucket filled with warm and soapy water, rags, some cooking oil or spray, heavy-duty aluminum foil, grill gloves, garden hose, water source, and again, if you have stainless steel, you want that cleaner. So the first thing you need to do, okay, uncover that grill and inspect all the hoses for cracks and abrasions and leak check all your gas connections, including your LP tanks. Now what you do with this, of course, if a hose is cracked or split, the hose goes immediately. But you want to check for leaks. You take some uh, soapy water, little dish soap and water, and you dab it around all your connections. You turn the knobs of the grill off, you turn your uh, gas on, and you look to see if bubbles uh, form. If they do, you got a leak. If you have a leak, throw out the connection, throw out the hose. These aren't things that you want to repair. I mean, that's scary stuff. So number one, that's what you got to do with your gas grill. Well, Colonel Ange, so, you do know the story about what happened at Cigar Mother uh, Piera's house a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. With the grill. Bought a gas mm -hmm. grill. It's uh, in-ground, natural gas. And the my uh, cigar sister Lynn was there grilling on a Saturday night. And the next thing you know, she starts seeing flames not only coming from the inside of the grill, but from the outside. She immediately called the fire department. They came in. They extinguished everything. Turns out, when the fire department did the... When they... they looked at what caused the fire the hose was incorrectly installed it's supposed to go kind of on the outside they installed it kind of on the inside so that rubber started melting away well of course she has to get a new grill and of course XO Tim comes in and installs it properly as you know so that there is and and secures it properly so there's no fire risk but you always have to watch when it's installed, because we've seen this story many times where people get a grill installed, gas grill, propane, and it's not installed properly and down the road. It may not happen immediately, but a few years down the road, it leads to problems. So very, very important that even when the grill is installed, always check, ask questions, make sure the installer does it right without any shortcuts. Yeah, that has to be done. And in, in just our close circle, General, there's been two, uh, uh, Cigar Sister and uh, Colonel Kurt had the same problem. They installed his, they uh, ran the hoses under his deck, and the one hose came up too close to the bottom of his, uh, his gas grill, had the same problem. Looked outside and saw that his deck and his grill were on fire. That is not good. No, no. Not pleasant. So, uh, not a pleasant no, ending, as they say. No, not a pleasant ending. And that's, that's why I say that's the most important thing. Before you do anything, you want to check those connections. 
Okay, and then the next thing you want to do is uh, there's a drip pan in your grill. Uh, get that drip pan out. Go get a bucket. Put that underneath. That's going to start collecting everything, all the debris. And put that in place. Get the, the grates off of the grill. Now, the way I clean them uh, for the uh, semi-annual cleaning, I mean, you can clean them every day. But if you've got them and it's been sitting and you didn't clean it when you put the grill away uh, in the fall, you want to take the grates out. I wrap them in heavy-duty aluminum foil, okay? Put them back in position. All the burners on high, 15, 20 minutes, okay? Turn off your heat. Disconnect the fuel source. Here's where you need your grill gloves. You want to take the grill gloves and some tongs. You want to quickly unwrap the grates, get them in position, and now you're going to take your grill brush, dip that in warm, soapy water, and start working on the grates. Uh, the water will help steam. That will also help get the debris off the grates. Get them scrubbed down really well. Uh, when they're done uh, with the brush, uh, get sh make sure you've got a clean rag because what you want to do is get any of the grease off, but also be sure there's no um, bristles uh, from the uh, brush on the grates. Take the grates, set them aside. And here's a step most people don't do, and you really should. Uh, most uh, propane gas grills have heat deflectors. They usually lift right out. Take them out. Uh, use your brush, soapy water clean them off, get the uh, debris, set those aside. Easy stuff. Probably the most complicated and the last thing if they ever do, uh, people ever do, is clean the actual gas tubes. Now, you know what these are, of course. They're the tubes that the gas runs through. They all have little holes in them. And you see the gas coming out. It, take a look at those. If you have a, a high-end grill, they'll be removable, usually a pin or a couple of screws. Uh, if you look down and they're not removable and they're rusted and the tube has collapsed into itself, time for a new grill. Don't even fuss. It won't, it's not a matter of hot spots. It's a matter of your grill exploding. So if you can take those tubes out, take them out. Here's where you use your wire brush. Don't brush the lengthwise of the tube. Brush across the hose, the short side. Open them all up clean them, run a garden hose in them, dry them off, then you set those aside. Next up, uh, we're going to do the, uh, the box itself. Easy stuff. The heavy duty, this is where you use the paint scraper, General. Take that scraper, scrape down, use the brush. Everything's going to uh, go through the hole where the drip pan was into the bucket. Uh, garden hose, water source of some kind. Do the same thing with the inside cover because there can be carbon that builds up up there. It's not as dangerous as it is uh, something that can affect the taste of your food. It'll break down and fall down onto the food as you cook it. So clean that up. When you're all done, you reassemble everything, grates back in place, take some cooking oil or spray, give them a quick uh, spray, replace the drip pan. Now if it's uh, like uh, the Weber uh, grills have the uh, uh, the uh, OEM part that is actually part of that, you clean it and put it back. If it's one of those disposable pans, put a clean one in there. Uh, clean the outside of the grill, stainless steel with the cleaner, uh, soapy water if it's anything else, and reassemble, clean up, and your gas grill is now ready for the grilling season. You are good to go. All right, when we come back with Colonel Ange, we'll talk about some basic grilling items 
that can be cooked. Because let's face it, you can't get into something extravagant. You got to work your way in to the hard stuff. So steak, dogs, burgers, but it's amazing how many people screw it all up. So we will continue talking summer grilling preparation maneuvers with Colonel Ange as we continue around the corner. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. The Cigar Dave Officers Club is the premier opportunity for you to experience fantastic cigars shipped to you every month. A beautiful variety of cigars, whether it's mild, medium, full from various countries. And the April 2019 Officers Club selection is loaded with full-bodied flavor. We are featuring the Hoyo La Amistad Vertical Sampler. La Amistad or the Friendship, translated from Spanish to English, is a unique a Nicaraguan collaboration between General Cigar and A.J. Fernandez. Three great cigars, all full body, the Hoya La Amistad Gold, the Hoya La Amistad Silver, and the Hoya La Amistad Black, all full flavored, all uniquely different. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club today and get great cigars delivered to you like the Hoya La Amistad Vertical Sampler. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Join now. Beta males run on tofu. Alpha males run on meat, steak, cigars, and Cigar Dave, the trifecta of pleasure. You can have a great beef dinner in no time at all. Well, almost no time at all. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Outstanding. And it's pretty easy when Colonel Ange is doing all the cooking. You just show up and Colonel Ange does all the work. Just the way that uh, Private G and uh, Mrs. Uh, Colonel Ange, just show up for dinner and everything is magically ready to go. It's a beautiful thing. Well, for them it is, not for you, Colonel Ange. You're doing all the work. Nah, well, you know, it's all about what work is, right? You know, I love to be out there, General. That's correct. You light up, uh, you know, favorite La Gloria Cubana. You've got a little mm -hmm. libation. You're good to go. It's absolutely right. That's where you'll find me. Absolutely. Now let's talk about easing into making some fine delicacies on the grill. Easiest thing, hamburgers and hot dogs, yet I can't tell you how many times I've gone to barbecues where the gentleman or the lady cooking overcooks them and they're dry. They're like eating, 
uh, my dog's kibble. Yeah, well, you know, in almost all forms of cooking, but especially in grilling, that's the uh, cardinal sin, and it's, it's, uh, it's committed almost everywhere all the time. There's a right way to do it, and the right way to do it is, is don't play with the food. Let's start with a hamburger, okay? If you're going to make, I, I love to make my own, grind the meat, get them a little bit thicker, uh, but, you know, that's fine. You want to go to the local market and you want to pick up a pack of hamburgers, that's great. But take a look at how thick these burgers are, and if they're really thin burgers, they're going to cook up pretty quick. You're going to have a burger in five minutes, and I mean five minutes is one of those thin burgers on your grill. You know, burgers you want to cook in medium-high heat. You only want to turn them once. I mean, I know people love to see the check and the double-check grill marks, but the more times you sit and work on those things, the bigger chance you have of messing them up. So it's a thin burger. Throw it on there. Put it on medium-high heat. Lay it down. Wait till you see the moisture in the side that you're looking at come up, okay? There'll be a little bit of moisture. The pink will start to go away, but before the pink disappears, flip it. Flip it quick. You're going to do on a thin burger maybe three minutes one side and then two minutes the other and it's off. Now, if you make them thicker like I do, an inch and a half, you need a little bit more cooking time, but... I can tell you, even with the thickest burgers I make, they're off the grill in under 10 minutes. And I've taken that to heart, Colonel Lange, when doing steaks and burgers, because I used to flip it umpteen times. I do oh. not do that anymore. For you know, grilling burgers, just like you said, keep it one side, and then I'll flip it over, and it's ready to go. Nice, medium, rare, or, or medium, depending on how people want them. So burgers and dogs, you can't go wrong. And, of course, when you've got the Salins, those nice charred, extra charred, you got to keep sticking the fork in there to let that thing breathe. Now let's talk about moving up to a steak. There's mm-hmm. multiple ways to do a steak. Easiest way to do a steak to try to get that nice char, Pittsburgh-style, on that piece of meat. Well, the easiest way is with a cast-iron skillet. There's no better way to get a nice char all the way across. Get yourself a cast iron skillet. I'll tell you what, you can buy a 12-inch lodge skillet that'll last you two lifetimes for 25 bucks. Put that on the grill. Get that grill scorching hot, as hot as you can. And uh, what I do, of course, is on two, you want to get a, a two heat, one on high heat. You get another section on the grill and a medium heat. Put the uh, pan down, get that pan scorching hot. It only needs a tiny bit of oil. Lay that uh, steak in the screaming hot pan. You let it go for, you know, if you got an inch and a half steak, minute and a half, maybe. Two at the longest. Flip it, do the same thing on the other side. Then what I do is I take it out of the pan, I move it over to the uh, other side where there's a lower heat and let it finish cooking over there. I mean, a two-inch steak is still not going to take you more than, honestly, 10 minutes, 12 at best. Take it off. If you're nervous about it or if you're unsure about it, the most accurate way to know that your steak is done is with an instant read thermometer. Don't put it in from the top down. Take your tongs, lift that steak up, run the uh, thermometer into the side of the steak, get it into the middle, If you're looking for medium rare, take it off at about 120 degrees. It'll raise up that other five, get you 125. You'll have a perfect steak. 
There's, I'll tell you, there's nothing more delicious than a medium-rare Pittsburgh-style juicy steak off the grill, soft like butter, delicious. So burgers, hot dogs, steak. If that's the only three things you make this summer, you're in good shape. Down the road, Colonel Ange, we'll get into some of the more intricate ribs, beer can chicken, some of the other items. But Colonel Ange, we appreciate you giving us summer grilling preparation maneuver tips. And I can't wait to see up in the Western New York Theater of Operations at the Pooch Pit. Hour number two of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. This is AMEM, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. From Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure friendly hotlines are open. 877 Dave 007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General, General Cigar, Cigar Day. The Alpha Male Pleasure Maneuvers continue on this Passover and Easter holiday weekend. Happy Passover. Happy Easter to all. As the head of the CIA, the Cigar Intelligence Agency, we have our spy satellites that are constantly in motion trying to ascertain the latest intel in the world of cigars. So imagine my surprise just over a week ago when I received a classified communique from Jonathan Lipson at Alec Bradley Cigars informing me that Alec Bradley Cigars and Alan Rubin, the president and owner of Alec Bradley Cigars, had acquired Lars Tetton's brands. Now, if you are a relatively recent cigar connoisseur, say the last 5, 10, 15, even really 18, 20 years, you may not be familiar with the Lars Tetton's name, but Lars Tetton's was huge in the world of cigars for many years, even before the cigar renaissance that occurred around 1994, 1995, 1996. The original creator of the herbal and uh, botanical-infused cigars, they were so hot, so popular, could not get them. Retailers were clamoring for them. Consumers wanted them, patiently waited for them. One of the hottest names in cigars, and they were not inexpensive, even at the time. And then they went away, gone. Well, when I received the information earlier, about a week ago, just over a week ago, that Alec Bradley Cigars and Alan Rubin had acquired the Lars Tetons brands, I immediately said to myself, I've got to get both men on because both men I know very well and have some great stories about Lars Tetons. So it is my pleasure to welcome to our Cigar Dave show, Microphones and Command Center Alpha, Alan Rubin, the founder of Alec Bradley Cigars and Lars Tetons of the eponymously named Lars Tetons Brands. First up, Alan, great to have you with us. Same with you, Lars. Dave, it's been a long time. I miss you, brother, and it's great to be talking with you again. Well, now you won't have to miss me since you're back in the world of cigars. That's right, baby. I just want to say first and foremost, that is a fantastic 
uh, intro that you have, uh, your introduction, it's somewhere between kind of like a Tucker Carlson meets the Sonny and Cher show. Um, it's got... Uh, Listen, uh, you know, I, got, I got you, babe, Alan. I got you, babe, okay? <laughs> All right? This is entertainment. This is Hollywood, baby. All right, Alan? I got I mean, you, man. It's, it's working. Hey, it's, it's, I got listen, it's worked for 24. It's, it's, it's wait, Alan, it's worked for 24 there. years. So, gotta gotta keep doing it. Uh, what were you saying, Lars? I have Alessandra sitting next to me, so it's kind of like the the funny uh, uh, show. <laughs> there you go. So, Alan, let's talk about. Uh, first of all, I met. I've got a great Lars story that I'm going to save uh, for a, a little bit later, a few more minutes about how we first got introduced and how we met and a great evening that we shared. But, Alan. Let's talk about this because Lars Tettens, big, big name. You, I think, started Alec Bradley, what, maybe is it 15 years, 17 years, something like that? I actually incorporated 96, but we really sold our first cigar in 1999. Thanks for being so, so quick on that answer, Alan. We appreciate that. You're really right on top of it today. I know you're into details there. No big deal. <laughs> All right, so so you've been around for a while. So tell us, tell me how you and Lars first hooked up. Before we even get into how this whole deal transpired, how did you meet Lars? You know, I'm not sure the exact year, but somewhere around 12, 13, 14 years ago, you know, I had been a fan of Lars actually from before I got into the cigar business, but once I was in, I was just a, a huge fan of Lars' creativity. Um if you follow him, you know that the guy is an amazing artist. His works sell for thousands of, you know, uh, I don't want to say hundreds of thousands, I don't know the range, but they're up there and his artwork. He's a, he's a chef. His leather works line, his leather goods line is, is unbelievable. Some of the best in the world. So he's truly a creative savant. I was just always a fan of his creativity. And like I said, somewhere between 12 and 14 years ago, I, uh, I called a mutual friend up in the Northeast and said, hey, can you set up a meeting with Lars? I'd love just to get to know him and talk to him. And so we set up a meeting at a, at a little uh, tobacconist in Pennsylvania. And they had asked, well, what time do you want to meet? And I said, like, well, let's meet at 8 p.m. or 8.30. And they, Lars said 11. They, I was told back 11. So we went to the store at 11. 11 comes, Lars isn't there. 12, not there. 1 o'clock. Lars still isn't there. Two o'clock in the morning, Lars shows up, knocks on the back door, opens it up, unloads his car, and makes me pulls out a crock pot and makes me lobster mac and cheese, like I've never had in my life. Just spectacular. And we spoke till early, early in the morning, and it was just a. It, he was just everything I thought he would be. Um, he's honest and he's humble. And, uh, he's, he's definitely the most interesting guy that I know. And, uh, there was just a mutual respect for one another. And we've always kind of kept in touch and been tight throughout each other's careers. And, you know, ultimately one thing led to the other recently. Alan, 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 like, Alan and I just had a kinship when we first met. We were very, very close. And I had a lot of, major cigar companies want to acquire me and uh the only person i really at the end of the day who got me understood me was alan and also he was like had you know his two sons that are coming up alec and bradley and they're great guys 
and it was like more like a family, and that's really what I wanted to be part of is that kind of family business. That's what I've always liked you know, throughout my life uh, doing my businesses. If you can't have fun and enjoy your your business and enjoy what you do, you know, it, it becomes a difficult, arduous thing to go through this life. All right, now many people, ours may not be familiar with you, your cigars, so let's give a brief background, brief introduction, because you are multi-talented. Alan talked about uh, your culinary skills, also an artist. I remember you were kind enough to give me a beautiful work of art, uh, cigars. So give us an idea of, of Lars Tetons for those that may not be familiar with who you are. Well, I don't know. I'm just a dude who likes to make stuff, and... Uh... I like making things. <laughs> that's what I like doing. And I like creating. And when I see something that's interesting, I like to get involved. I started smoking cigars when I was very young. And uh, I started making cigars in 1979. And I just uh, continued to rock on with that. And I really investigated where the origins of cigar making came from as far back as we could find them. And as far back as over 6,000 years ago, there were, you know, uh, stone cylinder molds for cigars in Venezuela over 6,000 years ago. And also statues of women tribal leaders smoking cigars over 6,000 years ago. So, you know, I studied that ancient way of making the cigars and uh, tried to incorporate it into what I do today. So, Alan... Uh, you and Lars develop a friendship over 12, 13 years. Was it ever broached at the time that you should both work together or that you were interested in acquiring the Lars Tetons brands and some of his unique uh, uh, blends? Uh, no. You know, we'd never really we'd never really talked about that. But, you know, Lars was uh, and still remains very successful in, in some of the other, you know, uh, stuff that he's into. Um you know, this is a guy who created skateboards, you know, skateboard decks that that are collector's items now. They go for a lot of money, I know, because I bought one uh, before <laughs> before this ever happened. And, um, you know, I've seen I've seen magazines in Europe with uh, with his with his, you know, paintings. So I knew he was doing all these other all these other ventures. And so I never really brought up doing something in the cigar business together. But, you know, I think as our friendship just continued to, to grow and, and just become stronger and, you know, uh, we kind of talked about what he had gone through because he had somebody that helped and he'll tell you more about it, but, you know, manage, manage his business with him. And I thought he was just focused on other things, you know, so I never really talked about it. And then uh, somewhere, I guess, just over a year ago, maybe a little more than that, we just started talking about, you know, we've always kind of wanted to do something together. And what happened was I, I actually approached him and said, I've always been a fan of yours and creativity. You know, you were the originator of, of doing these type of conditioned cigars. And, you know, you were so wildly popular. Why don't you spend more time in the cigar business? And, and even though he's still in it, it was never, he was never out of it. Our stuff that was the bigger sellers were always, and we never really stopped selling were some of the most expensive sticks that sell for like anywhere from sixty dollars to a hundred and eighty dollars a cigar, and those never stop selling. They're always very, very sought after. So 
all over the world. Yeah. Al Rubin of Alec Bradley uh, Cigars, Lars Tettens of Lars Tettens Brands, our guests. Big announcement in the world of cigars just over a week ago. Alec Bradley acquiring Lars Tettens Brands. So, Lars, tell us about how you got started in the cigar industry because you started way before the cigar boom in 1994, 1995. Right. Well, I was smoking cigars when I was really young, and um, I started... Uh, there's a, a place called Jack's Oyster House in Albany, New York. And back then, that was in the days where you could smoke cigars right in the restaurant. So when I was just a young kid, I was smoking cigars, having lunch, I was doing business out there. And uh, I was like, uh, it was just fascinating me. And in New York, there was uh, a place on 29th Street and a place on 30th Street. On 29th, there was like, it's called Five Brothers Kenya, I think it was called. And one of the rollers there, Antonio Martinez, who now his son owns that place, um, Antonio started teaching me how to roll cigars. And then uh, Sanchez, who was on 30th, he taught me how to roll cigars. So both of them were, were teaching me how to roll cigars at the same time. And it was really funny because I would roll cigars in the in Brothers Kenya, and nobody knew who I was. They just called me White Boy. And at one point, they were selling the cigars with uh, just a little cardboard sign saying "White Boy Cigars." <laughs> right. <laughs> that blend when I was only you know a young kid, that blend in 1979 was the one that they sold the most of. And then I made another blend at Sanchez, and Sanchez used to come over to the to the bundles of cigars I roll. He'd pick one up, smoke it, and he said, "Oh, these are terrible." And he'd pick up all the cigars I rolled, threw them in the garbage. And as soon as he would walk out of the room, the manager would come over, grab all those cigars, and put them in the little container to sell, and then tell the people that those were the ones that blended. And those ended up becoming the best selling cigars in this place. So they ended up using my blends. So. Well, Lars, what was, was fun. what was your your motivation to create the first really herbal and oil infused and conditioned cigars? Because you were the first. There's been other. You know, uh, 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 cigars along the way, but you were you were you were the creator. What 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 was your motivation yeah. to do that? Well, it, it really came from being inspired from the ancient way of conditioning tobacco that goes back into Venezuela over six thousand years ago. And when I learned about that, I tried to develop it, and you know, I studied a lot about you know different kinds of essences. And my whole art is kind of the art of the senses. So when I'm making a leather bag, I want the bags to be beautiful when you look at them, but also when you touch them to be soft to feel or firm in the construction, depending on what kind of practical use you're using this for. So practicality and softness or hardness to the touch, depending on what you're going to be using it for, the practical usefulness of it. It was always something that was important to me. Music, which I've been doing for a long time. I started doing rap music with CBS Records back, you know, right around the same time, early 80s, um, before it was even called rap, when it was only called uh, MCN. And uh, originally I started doing that because uh, I didn't want to, I was DJing and I didn't want to hire a, a hype man because I was too cheap. So <laughs> I was like, I can do this myself. I started doing it myself, and uh, that ended up becoming rap music. 
I was going to ask you, Lars, yeah. give us some of the names of your uh, your cigars uh, way back. I mean, it's Lars Tetton's brands, but I know there are some unique names that you had as well within your different lines. Sure. Well, we had Fat Cigars, and that was like, you know, one of our one of our big starting brands that we, we were doing back in the day. So, I mean, that was, uh, and then, you know, in those, cigars, there was a whole other line, like the Shorty. Uh, a lot of other cigar companies tried to come out with, like, copying my name. In fact, they did copy the Shorty. A bunch of other cigar companies did. But I don't even know if they understood what it, the Shorty meant. You know, it was a rap terminology. At Fat Cigars, that was a P-H-A-T. That was like a, a hip-hop thing. So, you know, my whole kind of thing in the cigar world came from that hip-hop culture and the rap culture. So a lot of people, and also my Japanese training, like Akadachi, which I don't know if you want me to tell you what that means. <laughs> That's the only Alan, thing one of our... Right, Alan, let me ask, when, when how, how did this all come about where you and Lars decided that, okay, this would be a great fit? Uh, what was the impetus? Was it something that just struck you or was it just kind of a slow process where you said you know maybe we'd like to expand do something a little different here's an opportunity and and tell us how this deal all came about well ultimately david started with our friendship um you know a lot of trust of one another um i started thinking about you know what lars brings to the table in terms of creativity and his style something that we didn't have here at alec bradley and i think lars was on his own thinking, well, Alec, you know, Alec Bradley has a, an operation, um, you know, the brand is out there worldwide, distribution is worldwide, um, a, a, a very customer-centric with all of our territory managers who really understand what we do. We talked a lot about, you know, integrity and, and kind of do something together where we can best benefit one another. And I, you know, I, I really just wanted to sit with Lars and say, hey, look, let's, I think, I think you and what you did for the industry and, and everything that was built around your brand, I'd love to bring that back. Um, and so we able, were able to structure a deal that, you know, Lars and I are partners and um, Lars is going to do what he does best, which is be Lars, you know, be the creator and be the creative. And we have an opportunity to support that and, and give you know give worldwide distribution and um, a lot of support between the entire Alec Bradley team and and now Lars as a as a creative. Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars and Lars Tettens of Lars Tettens Brands are guests here on the Cigar Dave Show, our Cigar Masters Hour. Lars, let me bring up how you and I first met. I don't know if you will recall this story. It was around 1998. I was doing a live show from the Tinderbox in Buffalo. That was before we did our big, giant alpha male pleasure fests with, uh, you know, big stage and a huge crew. It was uh, pretty rudimentary way back then. And you had heard that I was going to be coming up, and I think at the time you were living around Albany or Utica, somewhere in that neck of the woods. You called me up and said, hey, I'd like to pop over. And I said, absolutely, would love to have you on the show. So you, you drove over. Um, and we had you on the show, and then afterwards, you said, look, let's go to dinner tonight. Let's go to one of the best restaurants in town. What is it? And I said, well, Lord Chumley's is great. You can't go wrong. They're no longer open. We went to Lord Chumley's, and do you remember what happened at Lord Chumley's that night, Lars? Yeah, my usual. 
order pretty much everything on the menu. <laughs> Correct. The waitress comes over and said, okay, everybody ready to order? And you were sitting at the head of the table. I was sitting next to you. There's maybe a dozen other people. And you said, yeah, we're ready to order. We're going to have one of everything on the menu. And the waitress kind of looked and then kind of laughed, thinking, ha-ha, very funny. And I did the same thing. And you said, no, I'm serious. I want one of everything on the menu. Appetizer, hors d'oeuvre, entree. There must have been about 18 entrees on the menu, maybe a dozen appetizers. And the manager came over about two minutes later and said, let me get this straight. You want one of everything? You're sure? And you said, yeah, no, absolutely. That's what we want. And over about three hours, they kept bringing one of everything. And it was a, it was a wonderful evening. But never in my life... At that, uh, there before and and thereafter, has that ever occurred? So that's as soon as I saw this, I said, "Oh, do I have a great Lars Tetten stories?" And we had a great evening that night. And afterwards, we smoked some great Lars Tetten cigars, had some great libations, and a lot of great camaraderie. And we have to do it again. Absolutely, I can't wait to see you down in Florida. Yeah, it was that, it was awesome. It was a great time that night. It was definitely a lot of fun, and the show was great too. The radio show was fun. Remember, uh, I kept talking about uh, keeping my pin pants dry. No, I I, re- I remember we had a, a fantastic, and there were people that were thrilled uh, because at the time I think you were selling cigars at the tinderbox, and I think um, at the time they came out and said, "We need more. We need more of your cigars." And that was the that was Lars pretty much the biggest complaint people had about your cigars: not the quality, not the taste, not even the price because they were very expensive. The biggest complaint yep. consumers and retailers had: we need more. Well, that's the beautiful thing about Alan and this relationship is Alan's going to really handle that part of the business and make sure that everybody's happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> The production yeah. is going to be well. I know Alan, and Alan likes to sell cigars, so he will be. I can tell you, I'm sure that he will be uh, on top of production, and we'll get to that because we have another half and, hour and remaining. Is, yeah, go ahead, real quick. Yeah, I'm going to Nicaragua soon to be able to set up the production, and you know, I'll still be managing all the quality control and the production of it. So it'll still be the great quality that we've always been doing, and it's only going to get better. Outstanding. So, Alan uh, Rubin and uh, Lars Tettens join us today. Big announcement in the world of cigars just over a week ago that Alec Bradley Cigars acquiring Lars Tettens brands. And when we come back, we will talk about the plans because many of those same initial brands, they are protected under the FDA, what they call predicate rules. So, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what they have up their sleeve, how they're going to recreate those incredible cigars that Lars launched way, way back and were ever so popular going into the big cigar renaissance from 93, 94, 95, 96, 97. We'll continue our conversation on our Cigar Masters Hour Around the Corner. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Cigar Day. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. 
This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth. It will entice you to enjoying more and more of the vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. Foremost authority on cigars, spirits, diversions, and the good life. The General Cigar Dave. As I enjoy my Alec Bradley Tempest Natural Magnus. Nice big cigar. Six inches in length, 58 ring gauge. Perfect time to reintroduce our guest, Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars. Lars Tettens of the eponymously named Lars Tettens Brands. Alan, I selected this cigar today, the Alec Bradley Tempest, the natural, because knowing you were going to be coming on, as well as Lars, and there are no Lars Tetton cigars available, and I don't even have one remaining in my humidor. It goes that far back. Sorry about that, Dave. I, well, I, I can tell you one thing. I'm not going to have that problem down the road, correct, Alan? No, you won't. <laughs> that, is, that is correct. I was going to say, yeah, you know, my, my job is to make sure that we do the right thing by Lars's, you know, by the brand and, uh, you know, by his name, but get the product back to the people. And do it with great quality. And I know you will, Alan. And that that's, brings me to this great story. Do you remember when you first gave me what was going to be Tempest to try, got to be, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago? Uh, I do remember. It was probably more like 12 years ago. It could be. We were, we were at lunch. We went to a cigar-friendly lunch spot not far from Alec Bradley World Headquarters down in Fort Lauderdale. You pull out these cigars. We were with Ralph Montero, your vice president, and, uh, and George Sosa, Master Chief George Sosa, your VP of sales. You pull out in a plastic bag these cigars, no band, nothing. And I said, what is it? He said, just, just shut up and smoke it, which I did. I lit it up, and I said, man, this is great. What is it? This is going to be called Alec Bradley Tempest, you told me, which is Latin for time. I said, great. When's it going to be coming out? And you said, probably six months to a year. Well, what I didn't realize was that, Alan, you were either on Cuban or Jewish time with Tempest, not Latin time, because I think it was, what, about five more years till it finally came out? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, it, was, it was a little bit of time, but, you know, truly it was, we knew the blend, we knew what we wanted to do, but we needed to, you know, have enough tobacco to be able to bring it into productions, and that's really what we were waiting for, but even at that time, you know, Dave, I'd never hand you a cigar that I wasn't proud of, whether it had our you know name on it or not. If we blended it, you know, it's something that I'd be proud of, obviously. And right, um, I, I knew we had something on that blend. Oh, the second that we put it together, I knew we had something. Totally. And I said to you, I said, Alan, this is great. 
I can't wait till this comes out. And every time I'd see you, hey, when's Tempest coming out? You're like, we're working on it. We're getting there. And 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 uh, it finally came out. And when it did come out, I said, boy, you did it right. And you told me right from the get-go. You said, I'm not going to release this cigar unless it's 100% correct, the blend is right, the tobacco is aged, the construction is right. And you, you know, talk about time. You, 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 as they say, you can't rush the hands of time. You didn't. And that's why Tempest, I think, has been undisputably one of your biggest hits and since that time you know you've added uh, line extensions to tempest between the tempest uh, nicaragua which is you know a fantastic cigar can't go wrong with that you got the tempest uh, natural but you've really done uh you've done right by that cigar same thing with mundial that was another cigar that you gave me and it took you a while to get it out but once it came out home run thank you i appreciate that Dave. so alan let's That's talk the about the thing also that i really always uh that Alan did great. Everything that he came out with was superior quality products. There are a lot of other nope. cigar companies were trying to come into the game and trying to do what Alan actually did, but very few people could actually come up with that consistency and quality. Uh, agree, and let's that's a perfect seg into the future of Lars Tetton's brands. The cigars that were orig- the original herbal-infused, oil-infused, and, and conditioned cigars now are going to be coming back. So, Alan, let's talk about that process, because you made the announcement, but I would assume it's going to be the cigars are not ready unless you're going to give me a surprise and say, yep, we're ready to release them. We've been working on this for a while. But uh, it, first of all, is that the case? No, that is that is not the case. Um, yeah, I, I have to tell you that uh, uh, you know just just sourcing some of these exotic botanicals um, that Lars requires is uh, you know an exercise in itself. Um, so we we work diligently on that, all with Lars approval. You know, organic. Uh, all organic materials. I mean, his his specifications and quality controls are are top notch, and so just sourcing that has has been tough. But we've been able to do it with Lars, you know, with Lars's assistance, um, and and you know, being able to buy the quantities that we need to be able to bring full production into the market. So, and also, Alan knows from just being behind the scenes on this, which we're not going to reveal everything, of course, um, but he knows why those cigars are expensive. Am I right, Alan? I know, I know now that I made the investment, Lars, yes. That's right. So the cost of, of, of making them, the, the ingredients that I use are only the highest quality products, all organic, super high quality, and yeah. they are very, very expensive. Well, and so give us the process. So, Alan, you've, you've secured, have you secured all the tobacco for the initial lines? Yeah, so... So, uh, knowing that Lars and I were heading in this direction, um, months ago, I actually purchased a lot of the tobacco already. Uh, we've been putting it through our processes, you know, getting everything in the proper fermentations and where we need it in the proper sortings so that we would be ready for production when the deal finalized. And so, yeah. you, now, and you've also sourced the the herbs, the oils, all the, the unique uh, products that go to condition these cigars to give it that unique Lars Tetton's taste, correct? Yes, that, that, is, that, is, that is correct. 
Okay, so so give us a timetable. Have the so is the tobacco uh, fermenting right now? Is that aging, or is it aged and ready to go? The uh, I mean, it all depends. You know, there's a Loris requires a lot of different tobaccos for his you know for his blends. But I can tell you this: that on the blends that we're doing, they all go back to his original blends. Nothing has right. changed there in terms of the tobaccos. Um, all his formulations are going back to the original. Uh, from when he from when he started, the one thing Lars was fantastic about was keeping notes as to what tobaccos were used um, and and the proportions of which they were used. So it took time. I knew that the deal was heading in the right direction. So I you know I, I would say I, I I somewhat took a flyer, but not really because we knew the deal was going forward. But we went out had to source by large specifications, the tobaccos that he needed, and like you said, the herbs and the oils and the botanicals, all to his quality controls, but you know, specifications. And we did that. So uh, we're it's going, going to back. be amazing. There's not, yeah. uh, we're, we're literally, it's not going to be just uh, as good as the original. We're going to do it even better. It's going to be incredible. Some of the best cigars that I'll, I'll, I'll be coming out with will be our partnership together. It's going to be and amazing. I can tell you this too very quickly is that, you know, if you look at Lars's artwork on his cigar rings, uh, we're going back to all the original artworks. Um, you know what I'm saying? Even though Lars has moved forward without, you know, through his career and made some artwork changes and, and, and on his, even his, his, uh, one of his main rings and his cigar rings that he uses, we're going back to, what made him so prominent to begin with. And that's what I was going to ask you next is, are you going to retain the original packaging, the boxes, the, the artwork, the labels? And the answer obviously is yes. So Alan, give us a timetable when cigar connoisseurs and consumers will start to see the relaunched Lars Tetons cigars in the marketplace. Let me just make one small change in what you had just said. So the original rings, the original cigar bands, those were going to utilize that same uh, artwork. But in terms of the cigar box itself, that packaging, um, there's going to be some modification there because as Lars has evolved as an artist, he want, he's going to do some wickedly creative stuff. But we're probably, you know, that, that will be distinctly Lars, but that part's probably going to be newer in terms of what it is on the outside packaging, but everything on the inside will remain original. One of the beautiful things about the new boxes is you're going to be able to take the box. There'll be one of my paintings on the inside of the box. You'll be able to take it like a box frame and hang after you take the cigars out, you'll be able to literally hang that on your wall as a piece of art. Interesting. So when, what is the timetable, Alan? When, when will they start to see these cigars? We're working pretty diligently now. Um, I would say that we will introduce product back into the market before the end of this year, for sure. We'll probably have some original samples, um, maybe towards the trade show uh, in the summer. Uh, we're working on that, but we have to see, make sure that everything is right before we do that. And then, um, so I, but we're, we'll be ready. I mean, full production will be ready. I think what we're finding now is, since the announcement, uh, came out, we've already had a tremendous amount of support. People asking us if they can order now sight unseen. Uh, we've heard some amazing success, you know, success stories with the Lars brand over the years. 
So the, the reach out has been spectacular for us. And, uh, you know, what we don't want to do is we don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. And my concern right now is that I don't think we're going to be able to keep up with the, with the demand, but I don't think we're going to try to either. I think we're going to stay with what we do best. We know our production capabilities and our capacities, and we're going to stick within that. We'll ramp up over time, but uh, based on just the initial reaction uh, from the from the supporters, uh, from our our brick and mortar tobacconists, and even the online internet catalog guys, um, you know, we're going to do everything we can to get everybody some. Lars, will you be more uh, involved on appearances and uh, being a brand ambassador, going out to various events more than you were prior, yeah, back say twenty some odd years ago? I'm, I'm going to be right. I'm going to be doing both things. So I, I, I never really did. I didn't really travel around and go to cigar stores back in the day. There was just a handful of friends that owned cigar stores that I would go and see, and some kind of events like that. But I am going to be going out and visiting cigar stores and uh, and doing that. But I also am going to be in Nicaragua setting up the production and overseeing quality control, and I'll be periodically going back and forth to make sure that everything is done properly. So believe me, my eyes and hands will be on the product. That's for sure. So people who are my fans, uh, they'll know that I will be watching over everything. But I also will be going out and doing some uh, events. Uh, I, I think that most of the people out there, or a lot of the people out there, know that I do music. So I'm going to be going out and doing some music events and uh, going out and playing little uh, little shows for at different cigar places and uh, getting that kind of little treat. And um, I'll also probably have my, uh, my new protege, Alessandra with me. She's an amazing singer, amazing, unbelievable songwriter. And uh, people will get a chance to see her before she gets so huge she'll only be in stadiums. Outstanding. Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars, Lars Tettens of Lars Tettens Brands is our guest, our guest on our Cigar Masters uh, Hour here, talking about the big acquisition, Alec Bradley taking over, or correction, I should say, acquiring uh, the Lars Tettens brand portfolio, the final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show and our discussion with Alan and Lars comes your way next. The April selection for the Cigar Dave Officers Club is the Hoyo La Amistad Sampler, including the Hoyo La Amistad Silver. This full-bodied sequel to the Hoyo La Amistad is crafted entirely with Habano seed tobaccos and using some of the oldest Cuban methods. Not a member of the Officers Club? Get premium cigars shipped directly to you every month by signing up today at CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. 
to Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. The Cigar Dave Officers Club is the premier opportunity for you to experience fantastic cigars shipped to you every month. A beautiful variety of cigars, whether it's mild, medium, full from various countries. And the April 2019 Officers Club selection is loaded with full-bodied flavor. We are featuring the Hoyo La Amistad Vertical Sampler. La Amistad or the Friendship, translated from Spanish to English, is a unique a Nicaraguan collaboration between General Cigar and A.J. Fernandez. Three great cigars, all full body, the Hoya La Amistad Gold, the Hoya La Amistad Silver, and the Hoya La Amistad Black, all full flavored, all uniquely different. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club today and get great cigars delivered to you like the Hoya La Amistad Vertical Sampler. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club, $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Join now, the Cigar Dave Officers Club. For your comfort and convenience, the General has turned on the No Pleasure Police sign. You may now feel free to enjoy the good life. And part of the good life, of course, is enjoying fabulous cigars. And in our remaining minutes, in our Cigar Masters Hour, Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars and Lars Tettens of Lars Tettens Brands rejoins us. Big announcement just over a week ago, Alec Bradley Cigars acquiring the Lars Tettens Brands in Portfolio. So, Alan, let me ask you, when, when this announcement was made, I am sure that you received calls from people that were completely astonished that, first of all, just came right out of the blue. And there's a lot of retailers that may never have heard of Lars, but there are plenty of retailers that carried Lars. You must have gotten swamped with calls from those retailers. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty funny. Um... I mean, I can tell you, I was just out in uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I was with my territory manager out there, and I said, uh, you know, what's been the buzz so far on Lars? And he said, from the time the announcement was made to eleven thirty that night, my phone, I was hanging up with one to answer the next one straight through, um, and I think that happened pretty much around around the country. We also received a lot of international press, but. I had so many, every, almost every text that came in to me started with, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, I mean, and, I received calls from people saying, I, I, man, talk about a name from the past, Lars Tettens. I can't believe what I just read. And, and I certainly was in that, that camp when I, when I received the, uh, the communique from, from John Lipson. Uh, Alan, is there, are there any restrictions? I know with the FDA, the predicate rules and all the other nonsense going on, will you be able to come out with new blends and, and new formulations, or will there be some restrictions on that? Well, I mean, I can tell you, um, 
you know, over the over the due diligence period when we were getting the deal done, Lars was, like I said, he's been a great note taker. He had a lot of a lot of information available to us. Uh, Lars has I don't know if Lars has fifty brands that he has at in the least, marketplace. At yeah. least and, I had a fifty brands with all different sizing and everything else. I had a huge amount of brands at the time. So it didn't really that's really not gonna affect us. We have so many lines to put out there that it's going to be incredible. The people who understand this cigar and have that sophisticated palate are going to go crazy when we bring back all those brands into the marketplace. And Alan is the guy to, to do all the uh, uh, infrastructure. We'll put it in there. He's the man. He's going to keep so that you- quality control, and together we're going to do something that the cigar industry is just not ready for. So with 50 predicate brands or blends, Alan, you can release five a year and you've got 10 years until you exhaust, theoretically, that entire predicate portfolio. Correct. Yeah, we really don't have to develop anything new. Uh, Lars's portfolio was vast. I mean, there was a lot there. And so really for us, it, it just comes out strategically as to, you know, what's going to take priority, what, you know, what are the first lines coming out, what's going to follow back behind it. But, um, you know, one of the things about Lars being down in Nicaragua is that because his processes are so exacting, uh, he does have to be down there. But at the end, Lars and I are both of the understanding that, you know, once we have the processes down, um, that he will go back, obviously check quality controls and those things to his standards. But our deal was is that, I was going to do the business. Um, I was going to be able to bring the product into market. And Lars, I just wanted Lars to be Lars. Just go out and be the entertainer and be the creative that he is. So ultimately, that will be more of his full-time focus. But again, we'll be we'll be down there on a regular basis, uh, making sure everything is up to the standards that we were looking for. But there's a lot already there to work with it. There's not, I don't think there's any reason for us to have to try and develop something new now for FDA. No. Lars, it's it's been 20 or so years since you have uh, been out of the cigar business. Have you kept up with what's gone on? Have you still kind of kept your hand and talked to some of your retailer no, I, friends I, throughout those 20 years? Yeah, Dave, I never really left the cigar business. I was always making cigars. Um, I never stopped making them, and there were stores that were my friends that owned the cigar stores I always made sure I hooked up with. Um, but I really... I was never really part of the cigar industry or part of the cigar business. You know, I only went to a handful of uh, RTDA shows, and you remember right. the kind of RTDA events that I did. Sure. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you, so, so now you will be attending. Will you be at the IPCPR convention uh, late June this year in Vegas? Yeah, I'm going to be with Alan. Um, we're going to have a, a like, it's going to be part of the Alec Bradley thing, but a little extension of it. And it'll just be like a little cool kind of hangout vibe. Um, people will have to uh, get reservations to go in because it'll be by appointment only. And you'll need to contact your sales rep at Alec Bradley and make sure you have an appointment set up. Uh, because it will be only invitational. Well, well, I just want it on the record. I want it on the record, Alan Lars. No invitation for the general. I just walk in. I, I have, I, I have that. Uh, I, love I, I get that priority. No, you don't have to have an invitation. <laughs> 
<laughs> Outstanding. Well, listen, congratulations to both of you. I cannot wait to get the hey, first blends. That Alan, you... that we... Remember the RTBA that uh, you interviewed me and Ernest Bell on? I do. I Very well. That was, I that think, was from a... Cincinnati. I'm trying to remember. That was Cincinnati or... Uh, uh, Houston, I Oh, San Antonio. That's right. San Antonio. That's right. San Antonio. Well, I cannot wait to get my hands on the new Lars Tetons brands that are finally reintroduced. Alan, I know you're going to get those in my hands once they're ready. Alan uh, Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars, Lars Tetons of Lars Tetons Brands. Great to have you both on the show. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Happy Passover. Happy Easter. Enjoy the holiday weekend.